You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is July 12th, 2018. My name is Philip Rossenreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. The Orlando Magic will be back in action tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern time as they take on the Utah Jazz in the first round of the NBA Summer League playoffs. I don't quite get it myself either, but the Magic have plenty going on there. We'll have a complete recap of that game tomorrow. Uh, for now, it looks like, at least as I'm recording this, it looks like Jonathan Isaac and Mohamed Bamba will play. Troy Copain is expected to start with Isaiah Briscoe out with a shin contusion. So it'll be an interesting game, a little bit of stakes. Uh, you know, uh, this is, I, I think, one of the, I guess, one of the advantages of the Vegas Summer League over the Orlando Summer League is they set up this tournament play and, and you get to actually see these guys play under winning pressure and under pressure to win and, and you get to see some stakes now whether teams take that seriously or not who knows I think guys want to win I think winning is generally important to these guys even if it's not the main goal of these summer league games um but I think it will be interesting to see how the magic react here in these in this fourth summer league game Utah um has a decent team Grayson Allen's played well for the for the jazz and over the summer league but you know summer league I don't really pay attention that much to the opponent I worry more about what the magic are doing uh, and certainly the defense has been strong. Isaacs look good. Bombas look good. Um, and uh, and the defense has looked very good. The offense, not as much, but um, I don't think that's a, a major concern. We'll recap that game again on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Magic, so be sure to tune in for that. Um, no reason to go too deep into it here. Today, we're going to continue a little bit of our re- wrap of free agency. On yesterday's show, I commented on, on the comments from Jeff Weltman to the Orlando Sentinel that this summer is pretty much over and, and gave you my thoughts on where the Magic go from here and, and whether we should actually take Weltman, Jeff Weltman at his word for it. I think you kind of can, but kind of shouldn't. I think it's more about now Magic looking for opportunities to, to make the changes that they need to make. Um, but the one thing that they did do this summer deserves a little bit closer scrutiny, especially uh, within the context of what's going on around the league. And that is the signing of Aaron Gordon. The Orlando Magic clearly made it a priority to re-sign Aaron Gordon, as I did as I did when I constantly previewed this free agency, even dating back into January and February. I told you, I told everyone, that this summer was all about Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon was going to be the focus, was going to be the 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 main, I guess, player that the Magic would decide what to do with in free agency. He took up all their available cap room, and when they did sign him, eventually he would take them over the cap, and indeed he did even on the deal that he signed. Orlando is now over the salary cap for, for again, probably for worse, but regardless, uh, I mean, we know why they're over the salary cap right now. It's because of that, that spending splurge in 2016, but Orlando is there now. Nothing more they can do about it. They, they, they made this decision to keep a 22-year-old player who broke out and had a really nice season last year. Um, they decided to keep him around and continue to let him develop and, and again, sign him to a deal that looks very, very, very friendly. Now, Aaron Gordon was on uh, ESPN Radio last week. He's talked about it to the media several times. He's, he's been out in Las Vegas with the team. Um, he said, you know, it, it really came down to, A, he's got unfinished business in Orlando. He, he, he likes it here. Uh, he wants to win here and and felt like Orlando respected him and gave him a fair contract. Um, two, it, it's 
really kind of uh, um, uh, nerve-wracking to be a free agent, I think, is, is, is another thing that I thought Aaron said that was really interesting. Uh, you know, he didn't get a call immediately for whatever reason. Um, there's, I think there are a few reasons for that, but Orlando moved quickly to get a deal done. It happened July 1st, the, 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 or at least the, the uh, Aaron Gordon announced that a deal had been reached on the evening of July 1st. So it was clearly a priority for the Magic. It was clearly a priority for Gordon. Gordon, I think, even said he didn't meet with anyone else. He only met with the Magic. And so um, clearly the team wanted to keep him, keep him here, uh, and, and Gordon wanted to stay here. The contract itself, the details of the contract that have been reported by Josh Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel, as well as Keith Smith of Real GM, show that you know the, the Magic protected themselves pretty well too. Uh, Gordon, happy to be back on Orlando, certainly happy to get a little bit of a pay increase as well, has a completely front-loaded four-year $76 million deal. He's going to get paid about $21 million his first year, and then the salary amount declines each, consec- each successive year. So by the end of the contract, in four years, Gordon's only going to get paid about a little bit more than $16 million. Again, that sounds like a lot. And Gordon is the highest paid player on the team today, which I, I, as I mentioned when they signed him, comes with a lot of responsibility. But Gordon becomes a very tradable asset even at the level that he's playing at now, and I suspect he will get better. But Gordon now, as a declining contract, as a young guy, as a player who looks pretty good, if things don't work out for any reason, Orlando has the flexibility to move him. Again, may take a year or two, but there is a fl- that flexibility existing. And they did, a, and Jeff Weltman and John Hammond did a very good job giving the Magic this advantage, this strong advantage, especially, especially, especially in this free agent market, which I'll comment on in just a moment. Adding, keeping Aaron Gordon does lead to some questions, and I don't think these questions are unfair. A front line of Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Muhammad Bamba has a lot of length and a lot of defensive potential, but a lot of people believe that Isaac is best as a power forward and Gordon is not a power forward. I'm not in that boat. I think that Isaac is best. Uh, I, this, I've always said this about Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon is such a tweener. He is best offensively as a four and best defensively as a three. So Jonathan Isaac, I think, is best offensively as a three, and I think he can guard threes or fours defensively. I think Isaac's probably a little bit better as a perimeter defender at the end of the day. So I, I personally think that Isaac complements what Gordon does, off, does on both ends really, really well. The big key to all of this working is shooting. Aaron Gordon shot about 33% from beyond the arc last year. It was his first time shooting better than 30% from beyond the arc. Uh, he was up at around 37% through the first 25 games, really tailed off toward the end, shooting under 30% uh, toward the end of the season. But uh, if Gordon can continue to improve his three-point shot, if Isaac can add a three-point shot, then you might get the spacing you need to make this work. The problem still for the Magic is going to be spacing, and we can all see the offensive problems on the horizon for this Orlando Magic team. This team's going to have some difficulty scoring. But overall, again, it, it, it's an experiment worth taking. Um, you know, the Magic, I, I, I fielded this question online, you know, why aren't the Magic taking some risks? Why aren't the Magic going after some guys to, to make this team better in, in the short term? And the answer, frankly, is if there's no risk to take, don't take one just to take one. This 
investing in a 22-year-old player like Gordon, a guy that you know well, a guy who broke out last year, who had a really good year in your system, that's the kind of investment and risk you take. And it, it turns out it's not as much of a risk as it looks because by the time the Magic have salary cap room again and hopefully are contending to use that cap room effectively, Gordon's contract will decline to open up that space and Gordon will hopefully continue to improve and look like a player who can, you know, attract someone to your team. That's all important. That's all a big, 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 big deal. And so the Magic made this risk, but again, they've protected themselves. They have an out. And I think that's something that maybe Rob Hennigan struggled a little bit, making sure the Magic had outs out of their bad situations. It's still uncertain what Aaron Gordon is going to be. Let's let's make that clear too. He looked like an all-star at times last year. He looked like a guy who thought he was an all-star at times last year. And so we're still trying to figure out exactly who Aaron Gordon is as a player. And, and four years in, maybe we shouldn't be figuring that out. Gordon admitted, uh, I think in at least one interview that I've read, Gordon admitted that his defense slipped last year. And if he can bring his defense back up to the level that we know he can play it at, then all of a sudden the Magic do have a really killer defensive front line. The kind of front line that we're seeing dominate the Summer League. I mean, even that game against the Suns, the defense killed Phoenix that game. They only shot like 35% from the floor. The Magic's turnovers are the reason they lost that game and, 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 their, poor, and their own poor shooting. So, Aaron Gordon got taken care of. Orlando made this investment in a player that they really like that seems to have a bright future in this league. The question, though, is Aaron Gordon said back in April that he envisions himself as a max player and love the confidence bordering on cockiness. But he didn't get anywhere close to that. His max deal would have been $25 million. He's getting paid an average of what, 76 over 4 is a number that I can't compute off the top of my head. It's less than $20 million per year. He's getting paid 21 his first year, but that amount declines every year after. And so, in this sense, the Magic were lucky that they faced a market that was very peculiar. And that's what I want to talk about next. And to introduce us to, to how peculiar this market was, uh, I want to bring in some words from another one of our Locked On hosts. It'll be the host of Locked On Bulls, uh, Jordan Maley. He here is discussing the Chicago Bulls' decision to match the offer sheet on Zach Levine. And Zach Levine, like Aaron Gordon, a restricted free agent, had trouble finding many offers. What's up, Locked On NBA fans? This is Jordan Malley and Matt Peck with you here from Locked On Bulls. Just touching on the breaking news of Zach Levine's re-signing with the Bulls after the Sacramento Kings offered him offer sheet of four years, $78 million. This coming over the weekend on Friday nights, the Bulls were quick to match Zach Levine. This has been a conversation that Matt and I have had multiple times, and uh, it's almost a daily occurrence over the last two months over at Locked On Bulls. And so we just wanted to give you guys our quick reaction of what we think of it and maybe what Bulls fans are reacting to it 
too. So overall, Matt, this was kind of expected. Obviously, the money was a little bit more than we both initially thought. But what did you overall think of this deal and what it does for the Bulls going forward? Yeah, what's up, Locked On NBA Nation? Jordan, I think leading up to this, I was trying to be optimistic that the Bulls and Levine could come to a a team-friendly deal because looking at the market this summer across the league, I didn't see that many teams that had of the small amount of them that had the money to offer Levine close to a max deal or even something as significant as 20 mil per over several seasons. I just didn't see him getting those offers from anywhere. And the wild card, always the wild card, the Sacramento Kings, who knows what that team, what that front office is doing. I said that was the one hang up when they were rumored to be one of the teams that would be interested, even though it didn't seem to make a lot of sense for them. Buddy Heald and and Bogdanovich, two of their better players, play the same position as Levine. I don't so I don't see why they really gave him that offer. So it's unfortunate that the Bulls were put in the position where they had to match to pay him annually a little bit more than that what they would have liked to pay him. But basically, what happened here is that the Bulls used their leverage to say we're not going to just throw this money at you like it seemed the Magic did with Aaron Gordon. They they said. If you want to test the waters and go out and get a, a bigger offer sheet than what we think is fair, bring us an offer sheet and we'll probably match it and we want to keep you. So that's what Levine did and that's what the Bulls did. Logically, it all makes sense. It's just unfortunate that from the Bulls front office perspective and I think from largely the fan base's perspective, it's a little bit of an overpay to keep him in town. Look, I get the the conversation about what Zach Levine has done in his first three years and the production level has clearly haven't hasn't been there. He was inconsistent on his offensive side in the 25 games he played with the Bulls. Uh, but even pre-injury, people talked about his clip at, at 40% from shooting from three and about 45% uh, field goal percentage overall. I look at that and I just say the Bulls were stuck. When they made the Butler trade a year ago, they knew they were going to do this. They knew that they had to do this, that the, his contract talk was going to be coming up and it was probably going to range from 15 to $20 million. Like the Bulls knew that and they played the odds. They told Zach Levine, go out and find out if you can see what offer sheets will get offered to you and what you want to sign and we'll decide from there. Ultimately, I didn't think there was ever really a question whether or not Zach Levine was going to return to the Bulls. And it's it's the same sentiment I had back in February, back in March, when Zach Levine was playing every day or every other day for that matter. But And I get the argument too. Zach Levine ranked 471st out of 521 NBA players last season with a negative 3.30 RPM, a negative 1.16 offensive RPM and a negative 2.14 in defense. So I get that. I get he was one of the least efficient NBA players over the first three years of his his career. I get that he's one of the worst defenders as far as defensive box plus minus goes. I get all of that. But you're also paying for potential here. And the market was weird this year. So I think ultimately, I'm fine with the $19.5 million. And I think it's all going to come down to effort as far as on Zach Levine's side of the... uh, Zach Levine's side of the contract. Yeah, you hope he improves and you hope that the small sample size of him in a Bulls uniform last season turns out to be irrelevant when looking at this contract and looking at the player that he becomes over the course of this contract hopefully it's a player that the Bulls do want to keep around and hopefully by the time that he is 26 or 27 winding down the back end of this contract we're looking back and saying wow that contract actually turned out to be a steal I'm not convinced that that's going to happen but Putting yourself in the Bulls front office's shoes, they really didn't have much of a choice here. 
they they had to match it. It made sense to match it. And now, as you said, you hope that this potential contract turns into a good contract. One last thing, too, to touch on as far as why we feel like this Levine deal isn't as bad as maybe some fans are reacting, and even nationally as the NBA goes. Uh, people were laughing at this deal, saying, of course, the Bulls overpaid. I look at this from this perspective. Yeah, the Bulls have a ton of cap space next season and in 2020. And the Bulls over the last 18 months have been telling us over and over and over again, 2019, 2020, we want to be flexible with the cap. Great. My my point was what free agents and what history has told us with Bulls with the Bulls if recently over the last decade, what top free agents have come to Chicago? None. The Bulls have missed out on all top free agents coming here. 2010 with LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh, and you ended up getting Boozer. 2014 when they wanted Melo, he decided to go back to New York. Like, you talk about all these deals and all these free agents, it's great to have the cap space, but you also have to have the players to recruit, and you have to have the timeline and the history and saying, yeah, I have some trust in the Bulls being able to go out and sign one free agent, one top superstar free agent, two top two superstar free agents. So I look at that, and it's like, I don't have that much trust in the Bulls front office to draw. It's a big-time free agent, a franchise-changing player. So I'd rather take the risk, and sure, $19.5 million a year for the next four years might seem like a lot right now, but I'd rather weigh risk it on a 23-year-old that has, before pre-injury, had potential superstar ability. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think that's a point that shouldn't be overblown as far as what Bulls fans feel like and what has happened as far as history goes and tells us over the last decade in free agency. Yeah, well, you're also asking a fan base that has a tendency to overblow things to not overblow this thing. So (laughs) in, in due time, hopefully, we can look at this contract as not... Uh, the huge mistake that a significant portion of the fan base thinks it is. For more information on the Bulls, and if you want to stay up to date with our reaction and maybe Bulls fans' reaction, head over to Locked On Bulls. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Once again, Jordan Malley, Matt Peck here from Locked On Bulls. Many thanks to the guys at Locked On Bulls. Be sure to check them out at the places that they said, as well as the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. I hope that, well, that was a little bit long and a little more detailed about Zach Levine than, than probably you want here on a Magic Podcast. I, I hope that there were some points that you can draw out because the Bulls are in a very similar situation to the Orlando Magic and how they handled their restricted free agency. Again, Zach Levine coming off of a major injury, so maybe a little bit different. But a lot of the issues are the same. Like the Magic, the Bulls are are at the bottom of the standings. They're not going to attract any free agents. So even though they will have cap room very soon, they're not going to probably get the big-name players. I mean, Chicago may be a little more of an attractant than Orlando, but what else is on that roster? You know, Laurie Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., who looks, has looked really good in Summer League. Um, what else is on that roster that's going to attract a major-name free agent? So like the Magic, probably not ready to play free agency quite yet. Like Orlando, they had a decision to make when it came to their restricted free agent. And instead of engaging him in contract talks or, or, or getting him wrapped up quickly, they let him go onto the restricted free agent market. And in what's really been a rarity this summer, the Kings made an offer. That offer sheet that, that, that Levine got has been widely criticized. Everyone, when he saw, when it was announced that Kings were offering the offer sheet, everyone was just going, hashtag Kings, I can't believe Sacramento's doing this, Levine's coming off the injury. 
And then the Bulls matched it. Now, whether that leaves any hard feelings or or whatever, now the Bulls own that contract. And again, like they said on that clip there, it was probably worth the investment even if it's an overpay. Because again, you can trade it down the road. Now, unlike the Magic, that deal is not going to be structured team-friendly. In fact, I'm sure the Kings tried to put some stuff in there to make it hard for the Bulls to match it. That's the risk of restricted free agency is another team gets the first crack and gets to structure the contract however they want it and dare you to match it. That's what happened here. And the Kings ended up not getting their guy. The Bulls ended up keeping their guy, and it's still unclear what that relationship's going to be like because that offer sheet is a little awkward because it's, well, you didn't make me an offer that I liked. I had to go sign somewhere else, and then you kept me anyway. Orlando avoids all those issues with how they handled Aaron Gordon. But what I think is really interesting about this is how this restricted free agency market played out and how the Magic avoided all of it, avoided a lot of the drama, avoided a lot of the problems, and still got a good deal out of it. Zach Levine, everyone seems to agree, got overpaid in these contract negotiations. Everyone seems to agree that the, the, the Zach Levine contract is, is one of the worst contracts sent out during this free agency period. Again, I, I, I'm not on that. I, I agree with the Locked On Bulls guys that it's probably not as bad as it looks today. If Levine's healthy, he can live up to that deal. And not only that, it's probably something the Bulls had to do because who are they going to get to replace him? Are they really going to go back to the lottery? That, that's not their franchise's M.O. But adding on to that, the Bulls still had to overpay. Something that I think we can all agree the Magic did not. The Magic got Gordon at a good price on a team-friendly deal. And when you look around the rest of the NBA landscape, you see this problem with restricted free agents. Marcus Smart is still a free agent. Clint Capella is still a free agent. Really, only Kyle Anderson's the only restricted free agent that switched teams so far this year. Jabari Parker is still a free agent. There are a couple reasons why this is the case. The first one being very few teams had cap room to spend this summer. No one had the ability to add a new player in free agency. And... As we were watching, as we were on Aaron Gordon watch, the teams that we all thought Gordon might end up on or might chase after Aaron Gordon or offer him a big offer sheet fell to the wayside very quickly. Phoenix signed Trevor Reza to a one-year $17 million contract, taking them out of the Aaron Gordon, com- Aaron Gordon running. Dallas signed DeAndre Jordan to a one-year, I think, $21, $22 million contract, taking them out of the Aaron Gordon running. Doug McDermott signed a contract, a long-term contract with the Pacers that seemed to take out their cap room to go after Aaron Gordon. Honestly, the Magic might have gotten a deal done with Aaron Gordon so quickly because Gordon and his representatives looked at this landscape that was developing and said, look, we can risk it. We can take the qualifying offer uh, and try and play out the year to get more money next year. Or... 
We can come up with terms that are agreeable to us now, get it done with, lock us in long-term, and move on from there. And it seems like that's what Gordon wanted to do. Again, client drives uh, drives what the what the agent does. Or that's how that's how it should work. And so you now you've got all these really valuable players and and Smart, Capella, Parker are all really valuable players. And they do not have homes yet. All three are probably going to end up back with their same teams. Clint Capella supposedly has not gotten a really great contract offer from the Rockets. That slowed things down, but who else is going to pay him? The Rockets know this. Who no one else is going to pay him? And is Capella going to take the qualifying offer to go play free agency again next year? That's definitely a real possibility, and that's the, you know that that's the stick to make teams issue fair offers. Is if someone signs that qualifying offer, they become an unrestricted free agent, and they also get trade restrictions. They can dictate that you can get a, I think it's a no, a virtual no trade clause. If you sign the qualifying offer, you have a lot of control and a lot of leverage. That's the player's leverage in restricted free agency. Same might happen with Jabari Parker. The same might happen with Marcus Smart. It is unclear what will happen to those key players. And Aaron Gordon and the Orlando Magic very easily could have been in that, uh, in that rigmarole, in that rundown. They very easily could have been put into that situation where they're unable to come to a contract agreement with their player and they're waiting on another team to make an offer that could tie up their books. What happened with Aaron Gordon was so friendly to the Orlando Magic. And it's not just the structure of the salary, although that's a big part of it. It's that they got this done without wading through all this uncertainty. Orlando has its core established. The, the, the notorious B.I.G. or the victorious B.I.G. Bamba Isaac Gordon. That's who they want to build around. That's who they want to grow with. And so now the questions are about on-court things. Not off-court things. Not salaries. Not will they or won't they. Not contract extensions and negotiations. Not offer sheets and matchings. It's about what's on the court right now. and Orlando had very little they could do this summer. We'll evaluate the whole summer probably after summer league ends when, when things really begin to die down. And there's certainly a lot the Magic could have, maybe should have, explored a little more aggressively that I think we all sense as well. But getting Gordon done in this way and avoiding the problems that the Bulls have with Zach Levine, that the Celtics are having with Marcus Smart, that the Rockets are having with Clint Capella, that the Bucks are having with Jabari Parker, avoiding all those problems has been a huge benefit to this Orlando Magic team. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, find us on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Like us on Facebook at Locked on Magic. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places you download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can find me on Twitter at R underscore OMD. And of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com and follow us on Twitter at omagicdaily. The Orlando Magic Daily Mailbag will be opening up shortly after Summer League ends. I'm already accepting questions, so send me your questions online at omagicdaily on Twitter or at, by email at omagicdaily at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic. This has been Philip Rossman-Reich. 
I'll see you all again tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.